2: Happy Monday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan, and I'd like to welcome you back to another amazing episode of Cisco Champion Radio. Today, we're talking about Cisco Contact Center. So get settled in and join us as we dive deeper into this innovative solution. And just a reminder, you can always learn more about any of the topics we cover here at Cisco Champion Radio simply by clicking on the link provided in the description below. All right, let's get to meeting our amazing lineup of Cisco champion hosts and our super knowledgeable Cisco expert. Vinod, we'll start with you. Can you tell us more about who you are and what you do at Cisco?
0: Hey, Emily, my name's Vinod. I am the chief growth officer at Cisco's Contacts Center a Business. I lead all of growth and go-to-market for the business and we indeed are growing. The um, interesting fact is I came in via acquisition. Uh, my startup, Cloud Cherry, was acquired by Cisco in 2019.
2: Awesome! It's great to have you. All right, now to our Cisco champion hosts. I'm gonna go in alphabetical order. Amr, <laughs> you're up next. Who are you?
3: Okay, my name is Amr Nasher, and I'm uh, working as a business development manager based in Saudi Arabia um, in a Cisco partner uh, called Tawassul, which focuses more into collaboration solution from Cisco. My Twitter handle is uh, @AMR under. SCORE, N-A-S-H-E-R. You can also find it in the show notes.
2: Great. David, tell us about yourself.
4: Hello, my name is uh, David Macias, and I'm currently out of uh, Charleston, South Carolina, here in the U.S. I am a contact center consultant with close to 20 years of strictly contact center uh, consulting experience. My main focus has always been Cisco UCCX and enterprise, but also have a lot of experience with uh, various contact center cloud providers. And you can find me both on LinkedIn and Twitter under D Macias.
2: Great. Sibren. last but not least.
1: My name is Zebrun Burgerkamp. I'm owner of Three Corners and we are based in the Netherlands. Uh, Three Corners is highly specialized in Cisco collaboration solutions. And we are doing quite a lot of uh, building as a service offerings. Uh, my Twitter handle is uh, SibrenB B, but I'm not using that too much. So uh, keep me posted on, on LinkedIn and of course, Champion Radio.
2: All right, Vinod, kicking it back to you. Can you set us up with a bit more background and context around today's topic?
0: All right. So um, I think uh, my own story is reflective of the evolution of Cisco's contact center business. Um, I ran a customer experience management company, Cloud Cherry. Um, And the acquisition essentially was a realization of the fact that the contact center has become insanely valuable in a company's uh, customer journey. Um, and, And what we've realized is we've moved or evolved from being a contact center business to a customer experience business. Um, and that's essentially why CloudCherry became part of Cisco and uh, is now called Webex Experience Management. So after two decades of leadership in the contact center universe, uh, everyone's looking at what's next because everything's changed uh, in the world as we know it, uh, and and contact centers are no exception. So my role here is obviously to help Omar, who's the GM of the business, uh, take us into that new world, which is oriented around AI. Uh, driven by a knowledge of the customer journey uh, and is essentially programmable, programmatic uh, and tailored towards end customer requirements. Uh, And I'm going to spend the rest of the uh, of the show talking to our friends about this.
4: Great. You know, it's it's. It's great to hear uh, from you, and thank you so much for taking the time to do this. You know, it's uh, the last couple of years, the contact center scene has seen a lot of new faces. And also, we've seen some old faces get some new makeup and a new coat of paint and uh, reintroducing some of their old products and generating some busts because of that. Um, And in that time, Cisco's contact center strategy has seemed a little bit not, Clear and not focused. So I'm curious about you know with you joining uh, Cisco, how have you helped and what have you been involved with in trying to bring that uh, focus and that vision together as part of uh, you know Webex and some of the other new features that have come out uh, in the recent months around Cisco Contact Center offerings.
0: Awesome, David. I like how you cut through the clutter and jump right to Brastax question one. So let's do this. Yes. Uh, Good. <laughs> all right. So I think. Uh, the first thing that I alluded to when I spoke about Cloudcherry's own journey is the realization that this is a customer experience business today. It's not a contact center a business. A contact center business was focused on infrastructure, connectivity, all the hardware, all the infrastructure that built the contact center, right? And then it came to some feature and functionality, and the business outcomes essentially were: look, give me the least handling time, uh, and and try to get me FCR if possible, right? That world is turned on its head. Now, I won't speak to the past, but I will speak to what we're doing now and and what we're doing in the future. If you were to call it a customer experience business, it is almost criminal for us to start with what we have. What we have is cloud, multi-tenant, single-tenant, single-instance. That's us. The end customer who comes to your store, to your bank, to your website, doesn't care about any of these attributes, right? If we were to kind of forget about our roles in our respective companies for a moment and think as customers what do we want we want a company to engage us where we are right if you're on whatsapp i want to be engaged there i want to be able to communicate to the brand on whatsapp and i want it to be communicated to by the brand on whatsapp same for facebook messenger or online or mobile or social or the phone i might want to pick up a phone and call you so the first realization is that we need to look at it the way the customer wants which is We need to engage with the customer the way they want us to. We need to understand their journey and their context. Imagine, you know, you're trying to buy a pair of shoes and then I've given you a discount coupon. So, of course, you add the discount coupon. You go to checkout and voila, the the discount coupon does not work. Now you're frustrated, right? Because I gave you that discount coupon. Then you try to escalate to support and then I point you to a number that you need to call, right? So you go and pick up that phone and call. Now I'm asking, who are you? <laughs> what, what are you trying to do? And the customer is frustrated. As opposed to, ideally, your discount coupon works. Let's say it doesn't work. There's either a proactive intervention or a one-click escalation to support. The agent knows that you're exactly in the midst of this transaction and starts by saying, looks like we're making it really hard for you to buy the shoes from us. Sorry about that. Let me fix it in a second. Done. Can I help you with something else? That's proactive Support the the kind of support that a customer walks away from and says, awesome, I know stuff went wrong. It goes wrong for all of our businesses, but the brand truly cares. So engage a customer on their channel, know their journey and context, proactively, preemptively solve their customer problems, and keep me on the happy path. That's essentially what the customer wants. And we've made every investment that we're going to talk about through the rest of the show in experience management, in AI, in cloud contact center, in programmability. Everything is towards that end customer goal. So our mission statement is almost not just to the businesses we serve; it's actually to the end customers that our businesses serve. And I'm sure as we go through this conversation, I'll get to dive deep on many of those um, those aspects of the contacts in a business.
3: Okay, so I have one question: What's Webex um, Experience Manager, which you, your your company was focused on before, and how? What's changed since it was outside Cisco and now it's part of Cisco and how did you integrate it into the contact center solution?
0: Awesome. That has to be my favorite question because I have a mild uh, bias towards WebEx Experience Management. Okay. So what did WebEx Experience Management bring when we got acquired? So we bought a complete experience management platform, which allowed you to measure the pulse of the customer along the entire journey on a channel of the customer's choice. It allowed you to take the sentiment of the customer and marry that with operational data, meaning your demographic data, transactional data, your propensity, your your browsing information, and give every stakeholder in the company retrospective and predictive analytics on how experience shapes transactions. So I'll give you a very simple example. Let's assume I came to you and I said, look, I want to reduce our customer's wait time on the phone by one minute. It's currently 10 minutes. want to make it nine, it's going to cost you a million dollars. Now, we can do the math and say reducing wait time is obviously a desirable outcome, right? Nobody will say customers should wait more. But if data told us that any reduction of a minute or two makes no difference to customers' NPS, makes no difference to their repeat repurchase rate, but I come back and tell you, if you were to be able to bring it to seven or six minutes, there's a very marked improvement in NPS, repeat repurchase, all the business outcomes that matter. Then we have a very data driven choice, either reduce the wait time to six minutes or don't do it, right? As opposed to going after what sounds good, but is not data backed. So we truly bought that data customer experience analytics backbone and bought the worlds of voice of the customer and the contact in the business together. That was what we bought. Now where the experience management business is headed is what we call journey as a service which has three elements and I won't go too deep, but I'll give you a sense. The first element is an omni-channel listener, which is able to listen to every event, every activity, every action in the customer's journey. So it can bring in even IoT events, which gives you you know, uh, walking patterns in a store. It gives you browsing data. It brings all the operational data onto a tape. From that tape, which is essentially a, a, a chronicle of all customer activity, it actually extracts a dynamic profile of the customer because you learn something about the customer every time the customer comes in, right? So it's a progressive profile builder which dynamically then serves this profile to different constituents. So a marketing team needs access to a different element of your profile than a support team does, for example, right? So you have a a tape that listens, a profiler that profiles, and when you know the journey of the customer and you know their profile and their propensity, you use it to drive orchestration, which is what is the right next action for this customer? On what channel, with what language and what uh, incentive? Does this customer need to be escalated to support? Does this customer need an offer? Does this customer actually need to speak to a knowledge worker who's on Teams infrastructure, not on a contacts in infrastructure? So all of those orchestration actions have to be intelligently and dynamically powered. And that is what journey as a service is. The, the last thing I'll tell you in, in self praise of our platform it is a completely programmable API first platform, which is built from the ground up to be multi-cloud and is independent of underlying infrastructure. So incredibly proud of where that's going. And obviously in the times to come, you'll see a lot of that getting rolled out to a lot of you. You mentioned
1: um, in your introduction, um, artificial intelligence. How, how does this come into
0: play in what you just discussed with the experience manager? no i'm i'm really glad you asked that question so you know it's you're hardly um hardly innovative when you say ai cuz i think everyone's saying it but i want to add some depth i want to add some depth i'm glad you ask because um you know one of the jokes in the startup world is hey whatever startup you start make sure it's a dot ai because then it looks more 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 intelligent <laughs> so so i want to i want to move beyond the obvious and tell you what we're doing i, I want to start from right up top so the current GM of the contact center business, Omar, actually ran an AI business and came in via acquisition. And I may be uh, off base, but I don't think there's any other contact center business which is run by a cloud-native AI-first leader. And that's essentially telling you where uh, our own contact center business is headed. Now, which also indicates what we've done in the AI space. Now, there's a very significant amount of M&A activity that has happened purely to bring in these leaders, these teams, and these technologies into the contact center fold. So you can see that a lot of our technologies, be it on post-call summarization, um, be it uh, uh, call transcription, for example, virtual agents, agent assist, all of that is being built in-house, right? We're very proud of that. At the same time, we believe that the future is open platforms, which is you might offer a capability but your system should essentially be API first. So two things are happening. One, our own in-house AI is API first, which means can be consumed as a service. But more importantly, despite having this stellar AI team in-house, we still partner with best-in-breed companies. So on one end of the spectrum, we have a very tight partnership with Google CC AI because they've done some incredible work on that front. And we believe our customers should have the ability to to leverage the best of google using our platform we also work with growing startups like Unifor, for example on call sentiment we are partnering with them so we recognize that small startups and uber large tech companies like google are innovating at a pace that one company cannot match and an open platform essentially ensures that your in-house ai is it can cohabitate so to speak right and coexist with third-party AI, and the customers should essentially have the ability to pick and choose the best technology for their business. We should not be selling black boxes to them.
4: Thank you. So you know, it's good to hear that um, the openness and the API-first mantra being, being uh, uh, outlined by you one of the things I, I guess I'm curious about is from your experience at Cloud Cherry to now coming at Cisco, You know, it's something that's very easy to say like, oh, we want to have an API, but then you have an API and it really doesn't do very much. How have you been able to instill some of that? Like, look, we do need to be, it needs to be useful API, it needs to be something that brings value that other other vendors might be able to build their products around it. Um, how do you instill that within Cisco when in reality, Cisco was very, has been very slow to adopt that. It definitely has changed in the last couple of years, but the reality is it was for many, many years. That was not, you know, it wasn't API first, programmability first.
0: No, again, David, a great question. So, you know, one of the things when you come on board as a change agent, the easiest uh, assumption to make, that everything that's from the past is is slow or bad or whatever, right? But when I look at the business, you know, for 20 years, right, Cisco has been a leader in the contacts and the universe. So when when I came in, I looked around and, and I saw people who are so knowledgeable in the contacts in a world. If I spent another 20 years in the contacts and the universe, I might not learn as much. So one of the interesting things, if you see the leadership team at the Cisco contacts in a business today It's a mix of people who've been in the contacts and industry for two to three decades. Some of them have been at Cisco through those 20 years, right? Which is incredible. And then there's this new uh, infusion of talent, which is cloud first, AI first, some from the contacts in a customer experience world, some not. And that's perfectly fine because you need a diversity of opinion around that table, right? So that's the sort of foundation. But when you look at the API first, let me tell you what kind of APIs are there or are coming So there's five categories of APIs that are coming. The first is Journey APIs, which is all of the Journey platform I spoke about is completely API first. Then there are AI APIs, which means, again, AI was always thought of as end feature and function, right? Never as an API consumption service. That's the second one. And within the CCAS realm itself, data, media, and desktop APIs, which means the ability of data and media is easy, but even the desktop, the ability for it to integrate, extend, uh, and be able to become what the customer wants it to become has been factored in. Now, who's building this? Now, the teams that are building this are a mix of exactly the, the base that I told you about. There's folks there, here who've been only cloud. Like some folks on my team have never seen on-prem infrastructure in, the world, in their lives. <laughs> right? I haven't. Now, I, I don't say that with pride, I'll be honest. Because every time we work with our teams who built our incredible UCC platform, And CCX platform, we learn, every day we learn, what does it take to serve somebody with 20, 30, 40,000 agents on a platform, doesn't go down, works like a charm, right? So when you take these two teams together, what we're bringing is people who understand what hyperscale, highly mission-critical infrastructure looks like, that's the current Cisco team. You bring people who worked on developer-first platforms, which is as consumers and as architects. So you take the architects who are building these API-first ecosystems who don't know any other world, right? And you marry that with teams who've built our current hyperscale infrastructure. And so long as you create the right business and technical goals, and there's great culture, and I'm proud to say we have all of those, you can create magic. And that's essentially what's happening, David. So you have these two teams, uh, very different kinds of people who've come together. And the goal is very simple. The future is programmable, programmatic, customer-first. And how do we create the right infrastructure, the right technology, and the right platforms for them uh, in a way that anyone can build, do two two choices, basically. Either take our out-of-the-box contact center, click, configure, deploy, go live, or take our APIs and build any contact center you want. The difference from the past being, earlier when you built a bespoke contact center, it was so bespoke you couldn't change anything. But But the new bespoke contact center is CPaaS API first, And it's low code, no code, which means you can tweak things and make changes on the fly. If you wanted to, for example, change a communication workflow with your customer, you could go to your drag and drop visualizer and change that logic and effect that change immediately. So that's really the big change. And as um, um, indistinct as it might sound, the cultural alignment between all of these teams that have come together is probably the bedrock on which all of this change uh, is being built
3: okay so from from a partner point of view okay um cisco has currently three three offering of uh, contact centers which uh, the um, contact center express um, enterprise and the cloud contact center like personally i normally work with a medium-sized business um cloud contact center is not available in our region so um what's cisco from partner point of view or from customer point of view um What Cisco is doing in integrating uh, most of the features um, to be like if you want this feature you need you must go to the cloud or you need this feature you must go to the contact center enterprise so uh, how is it like um, you integrate all these products together or the features is it available everywhere or or there is like some features that you need you must go to this uh,
0: platform Awesome. No, that that is a million dollar question. So let me let me try to do justice justice to the question with a comprehensive answer. So, um, let me break it down into a few pieces. I think the first earlier, you know, five seven years ago, nobody could be faulted by, by for saying, "Look, here's my platform. Uh, tell me what your need is, and let me try to tweak my platform for your needs." Right? That world is inverted, which is the customers are choosing what they want, and we need to give them a technology and platform that's right for them. So one big fallacy that i've heard is hey if you want innovation you have to go to the cloud and essentially cloud between us is is hosting delivery infrastructure it's not features right it's not cloud is cloud is how you deliver the business um so what we've done is first every investment element that you heard from me the ai experience management the analytics and all of that all of that is available on all of our platforms so if you were on UCCE 12.5, for example, if you were on WebEx contact center enterprise, if you were on WebEx contact center, you could get experience management, journey as a service, which is coming up now, AI, all of them are available. The reason we've done that is to tell our customers that first put your business context before what technology platform you use. And then we can talk about which platforms right for you. For example, in the last 30 to 45 days, I've met customers of all kinds. One who said, I'm going from 20 to 40,000 agents. I'm on UCCE. Cloud's not on my horizon, right? So please help me go to at least infrastructure that supports 50,000 agents. And that's my most important thing. And yes, I also want all of this innovation. So obviously, uh, with the 12.5 upgrade, we're giving them AI, experience management, all of that. So they have the cloud innovation at cloud scale and cloud pace. And yet they're on their on-prem infrastructure. Then we have customers who've done the other end, which is we have a mandate driven by the CEO or the CIO that we should be all public cloud multi-tenant. And so if you have to be public cloud multi-tenant, they choose WebEx Contact Center. But we have customers somewhere in the middle who say, we love our UCC infrastructure, we want to move away from the infrastructure game we want you to deliver the product as a service but we want a lot of command and control on the upgrade and the update cycles so we want a single instance acd but we want all the cloud innovation on top of it so for them webex contacts and enterprise becomes the right platform in terms of harmonizing the three platforms we do recognize that i'd be absolutely lying if i said every single feature in exactly the same way is available on platforms right that would be grossly misleading but two things we're trying to harmonize one all the AI innovation, all the all the things I spoke to you about should be available around platforms, and it is. The second is to make sure that everyone knows we're committing to developing all of these platforms. It's When we speak cloud, sometimes it's easy to forget that we have a very large and very significant CCE, CCX base. So we continue to stay invested in those business. The difference we are making I mean, to your question is, instead of saying this is the platform, let's see what you can do with it, we are leading with what the customer wants. And depending on what flavor of the contacts and a platform the customer wants, we are able to give them the right solution which has all the feature and functionality they need and which has all the elements of technology, security, and all of that that they need. It will almost be impossible to say, let me have UCC and CCX and WebEx CC uh, to have the same feature parity, right? So instead of chasing parity, what we are chasing is what's the right solution for the right customer so you'll see as we work with partners when you come and tell us look there's x customer who's got this technology mandate these business requirements these integrations needed and this sort of a tco model technically delivery wise commercially we'll work with you to give them what they need not just on technology but also on business and so on and so forth i know it's not a hundred percent precise answer but we realize that the world is just so fluid uh, we should be focusing on how the customer change is evolving and give them the platform that that's best suited to their needs. Cool,
1: you mentioned um, Unifor Journey as a service. Uh,
0: can you tell us about it a bit a bit more? Sure. Again, with my own bias, I'll start with the latter first. So, Journey as a service obviously um, is what the Webex Experience Management team is building now. Um, Completely API first service, which means, um, and, and again, it's, it does just as a refresher, three things. One, it allows you to plug in any source of data, clickstream data, ER, ERP, CRM, uh, IoT data, contacts and information, channels information to bring in a complete and comprehensive view of the customer journey into the system. Um, obviously, it has a, a progressive profiler, a CDP, a dynamic profiling engine in the middle. But very importantly, it allows you to use the analytics to orchestrate action. Because we realize that contact centers suffer from this huge weakness, which is they have no idea what the customer's journey is. You don't know where the customer came from. Very importantly, we actually don't track the customer after they leave. We do a post-call survey, right? And then you go. We have no idea. Let's say if you're on a subscription service, did you renew? We would love to know that. Let's say, for example... Uh, you know, 10,000 customers call for the same problem. And we have two or three options on how to resolve the problem, right? Give a discount. Let's say something went down and you could either give a discount or extend the term or just say sorry and nothing else. You have, let's say, a few choices, right? What impact do those actions have on the customer's propensity to renew? That is such an important input to bake back into what the agent should be doing the next time a customer calls in with that problem, Right? But that was never tracked by the contact center. So journey as a service brings the entire journey context to the agent and allows them to take... I'm sorry? Dynamically. Exactly right. So as I said, to go back to the example of the shoe and the cart and the, the, the discount coupon, you escalate to support the journey up to that last second is in front of the agent, right? So the agent starts with context, correct? At the same time, context is not always immediate. So I'll give you an example. You call in. Now, typically, if a case is open, I know you've been calling about this for the last whatever. But if you saw the experiential history of the customer, and let's say this time, let's say you installed a heater. This time, the heater is not working. Uh, two months ago, it leaked. You know, Three months ago, the delivery was delayed by a month. Right? If the agent knows NPS was two, three, and four across the last three interactions, all different problems, nothing to do with this case, The moment you come in, I know you're angry, right? So I tell you, look, looks like we're making a really uh, big mess of serving you. I can see you've had all of these past issues and I'm truly sorry. That is human empathy. End of the day, you call support to resolve your problem and hopefully get some empathy, right? Um, And empathy does not come without context. So it's very important to stop looking at a customer escalation as a case, right? Case gets closed the moment the problem is done so the 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 leaky heater does not get linked to the the you know heating not happening doesn't get linked to the fact that the delivery was one month late because of some other issues right so steel threading the customer journey and not just the immediate journey even the long term contextual journey is important for us to just take better support decisions right and that's essentially what journey as a service is um on Unifor, I use them as a reference uh, uh, implementation because we partner with them on their sentiment APIs, right? So real-time in-call sentiment. Because for us, the use cases are multiple. In-call sentiment can be used, obviously, for monitoring calls, QM, but what do you do with it? You can do whisper coaching, you can do bargains, you can do post-call training. You can even build models. I'll give you a small example. Let's say David and I are two agents, and David's on a roll. All his in-call sentiments are green, his post-call NPSs are nine, and I'm having my third call in a row, right? Where the customer's aggravated, my handling is not good, my post-call NPS is bad. Maybe you want to give me a 10-minute cool-off, right? Why don't you take a walk, right? It's not a good day for you. There are so many such things can, that can be done dynamically if you have this element of uh, input into your, into your system. So the reason I mentioned that is to show that we partner even with growing startups who have innovative technology, that we believe is the gold standard for that space. So the the, the absolute statement is no black boxes, API-based. A young startup should be able to work on the Cisco Contacts in a platform. A Google should be able to work on the Cisco Contacts in a platform. Essentially, we'll do what's right for the customer.
4: Yeah, the Unifor uh, products are actually pretty impressive, and I'm glad to hear that uh, you guys are working together to integrate them into, into Cisco's Contacts and a platform. I'm curious about... Working with Google, what has, what has that been like? Especially when it comes to contact center, you know, I think of Google. I don't think of them as a, as a customer service or, uh, really, as any sort of human interaction. It's big computers, and you are always dealing and talking to computers. But contact center really is a very human, human platform, right? We have all these tools to help us with the human part of it, but it's really helping us with the data to make the human interaction smoother and faster and 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 better i'm curious about working with with google and you guys coming in from the context and experience what has that been like and have there been something where like they've learned something unique from you guys or you learned something unique from them
0: awesome I i will point the question on what they've learned from us to them <laughs> i hope okay. i hope they've learned good things from us but let me tell you what where we see the value so one of the things with AI is there needs to be an insane amount of data for the AI models to learn, become better. And, you know, the more the data, the more learning loops that you set in, the better the output is, right? Otherwise, you're at stuck at 60% or 40%. And, you know, if I told you there's a one in two chances your plane will land, you probably won't take the flight. So, so you know, you want to get as close to 100% um, as possible. And obviously, that's a journey. Um so from my perspective there are two very practical applications obviously one is the the you know everyone says call deflection we actually call it flattening the curve so in early days of covid and i'm not at liberty to name names but we had state governments who were facing a deluge of calls and these were calls people were making about the unemployment benefits right now it's never a never a good thing to keep a customer or a constituent waiting But when someone's calling about unemployment benefits and things, this is mission critical. Even an hour's delay is an hour that somebody doesn't know what's happening to their life. So there's almost something beyond business in terms of how important um, that call is. And yet nobody had thousands of agents sitting around, right? So we saw very quick deployments there wherein we were able to help our, our customers handle hundreds of thousands of calls a day during working hours and post during which time in any case those helplines weren't supposed to be open for people asking for unemployment benefits and things like that. And and I feel incredibly proud um, that we were able to do that. That is one. The second, obviously, is the collaboration on the on the answers module itself. Again, it takes a lot of uh, history in AI and data and depth to be able to discern intent from conversations, go to a knowledge base and get exactly the right one. Because, you know, if you do a simple keyword pairing, right, Um, I can throw 50 options in front of the agent and now the agent has this cognitive overload the agent should know that because sometimes you're on the call right someone's saying I'm I'm lost here something happened I lost my credit card what do I do or something like that and you want to know that whatever answer is coming up you don't need to scan it validate it and then give the answer to the customer because that's far too much time you should be able to trust that what's the top solution is most likely the right one and start working with it. So we find that just their depth in in AI and the amount of data they've run through it makes them an incredibly good uh, partner. And that's essentially what has been. And and I think you, you, you might have seen at WebEx one, uh, we had the folks from Google come in uh, to Omar's uh, keynote uh, and we just enjoy, we really enjoy a great resonance. Both of us believe in a couple of things. Uh, one really is that the platforms of the future are open. And hence, the two of us are, uh, are, are collaborating on the on that. And second, that AI can do a world of good, um, and 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 it's an evolving business. So those two commitments take us forward, and it's just been a phenomenal experience working with them.
1: Sounds sounds good. Um, I'm I'm just wondering because we now we are we are now allowed to to interconnect almost anything using the API and hook up uh, uh, all kinds of uh, third party applications. What about my my data? What about my privacy? Um, how's 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 that going to look like? Are we still g
0: Are we still GDPR compliant, for example? No, absolutely. I I think I'm glad you ask. I think sometimes um, when 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 people say hey Cisco is moving slow, it's because of this absolute and if I may say extreme commitment to data privacy compliance. Um, and when you saw the big, you know increase in usage of webex and video conferencing suddenly along with it came issues of privacy right Uh, unknown people on your calls or things like that and we've always believed that the number one attribute of a business is speed and innovation but that is on an assumption that security and privacy are non-negotiable right um Security is not a feature. (laughs) That's why I can't say number one feature is privacy, then innovation. So when we say innovation, exactly, exactly right. It's not a green button you click and say secure. So when you take an approach of security being weaved into everything, the way you think about a product, think about architecture, think about go live process, and I learned it myself. So I'll, I'll give you third party perspective, not Cisco. I've only been here 15 months. So we built very, very, very secure infrastructure. My co-founder and CTO is a security auditor himself. So he had this absolute maniacal obsession with, with security and privacy. And yet when we came to Cisco, we had to up our game, right? There were things that we had to comply with. And not all of them fell in the bucket of paperwork and process. Some were real things that we had to do at an infrastructure level. And, and when I saw that happen, I realized why sometimes you have to ba- balance speed with innovation, Right? Um, Because innovation without security is cataclysmic for large businesses. Some businesses cannot even afford one uh, thing there. So from a compliance perspective, be it PCI compliance for payments and and cards and things like that, be it with GDPR compliance, Mm -hmm. any market that we launch in, the regulatory framework, the compliance framework is an underlying assumption. You will not see us launch products in market without compliance being a check, right? So as I said, as opposed to feature that, hey, we are now compliant with X. For us, if we are there in the market, trust Cisco that all the compliances that are needed to operate in that market, we are doing that and then some. Thanks.
2: All right. Well, this has been another great episode of Cisco Champion Radio. I want to thank all of you out there for listening in today. And a special thank you to our guest and our Cisco Champion hosts for being a part of today's episode. Again, if you want to learn more about today's topic, just click on the link provided in the podcast description below. And just a reminder, you can subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to hit that subscribe or follow button now. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. See you next Monday.